107.7, 1077thebronc.com, proudly nominated for a 2019 and 2021 National Association of Broadcasters Marconi Award for College Radio Station of the Year, and broadcasting live from the Bronx all-new digital broadcast studios, welcome you to Your Pet Matters with Dr. Michael Tequila. Sit down, grab a blanket, and snuggle up with your furry family, because it's time for Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care, where Dr. Michael Tequila will discuss everything you need to know to keep your fuzzy friends happy, healthy, and safe. Your Pet Matters is underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care, 390 County Road, Route 518, Skillman. For more information online, it's ProgressiveVeterinaryCare.com. Here he is now, only on 107.7 The Bronx. Okay, good morning, and welcome to Your Pet Matters. I'm your host, Michael Dr. T. Tequila, and joining me again, a friend of mine, Mac enthusiast. I, I think we share we share fatherhood, we share marriage, we share, and congratulations, by the way, Gary, because you just recently you. got married, and, and I actually know your wife. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good, because she's been on the show uh, before. She's an ophthalmologist, but Dr. Garrett Packinger joins me. He is the Veterinary Trauma Medical Director at our friends at VSEC, and VSEC stands for Veterinary Specialty and Emergency Center and currently they have two locations, um, Levittown and Philly, and they're building a third, and we'll talk about that later, but he's also a specialist in critical care and emergency medicine, and he's the COO of VetGirl. Um, we've had um, Justine Lee on a few times, and Garrett as well, and they've talked about VetGirl as well. well. Maybe we'll touch a little bit, just for our, our, our viewing and listening audience, just to talk about what it is, so we can we can talk about things. But, but Garrett, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Of course, you know I love doing it, and I appreciate you uh, having me on. So thank you. And uh, and I have to tell any Mac enthusiasts out there that Garrett's playing with his new MacBook, MacBook Pro, with the what's what's that the t- touch, touch bar? Touch bar. Yeah, it's the touch bar. It, it just arrived last night, so if there are any kinks, I'll blame uh, Tim Cook. <laughs> yeah, uh, and maybe he'll respond, right? <laughs> yes. Toy, and she's uh, shiny and she's pretty. So I got the space gray model. Oh, I'm Very so exciting. jealous. I have my old <laughs> MacBook Pro t- circa two generations ago. <laughs> no. And it still works, so. Yeah, I, oh, it's, it's great. No, I, 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 can't, I can't thank Mac enough and, um, and Steve and Tim. But why don't we talk about, it's that time of year, we're in the fall. Um, winter is coming, and uh, typically we're we're a few weeks out from um, Thanksgiving. We're a few weeks out from the, the winter holidays. Um, and with that, there's a lot of family celebrations. And with that, we have a lot of um, pets around, a lot of cooking, a lot of treats, a lot of uh, gifts that come through the door. And, and why don't we talk about some typical, typical things that you experience in the emergency center as a result of the holiday season? Of course. And I think one of the first things that I would love to say is that we're doing this because um, even though we're both veterinarians and see patients, we would prefer in a sense that you don't come in with an emergency. So um, sort of counterintuitive to, to my profession as an emergency and critical care specialist, but everything we do is really education to the point where we don't want you to show up uh, on a holiday. It's the last thing you want to do with friends and family there is to have to leave or to call the poison control center, for example, because uh, they have access to something they, they shouldn't. So everything we do really is to make sure you don't have an emergency and have to rush out of the house uh, during the holiday time. But I definitely think there are a couple of of good points, and some of them may seem like common sense, but when you're in the 
fun of the environment and with family and friends, you don't think about these things. And uh, I, I hope that if we plan ahead and talk about them now, they'll stay within your mind and you'll remember them for that holiday time. Uh, but the first thing I would say is to to make sure your pets, and this is more of a dog than a cat situation, just because dogs are our counter surfers. They just tend to get into everything. But the first thing is just keep your dogs, keep your pets out of the kitchen, out of the dining room, out of the area where they can get into things that they shouldn't. Um, we all know you, you leave the room, you put the turkey on the table for Thanksgiving with the stuffing, you leave the room and then Fluffy is two paws on the table uh, and half the turkey is gone, including the bones and everything else. So really just try to avoid the situations by keeping them out of the area where they can get into trouble. You know, we were kind of very cognizant about baby proofing the environment for our, our two legged babies with you know, the electrical cord holders and baby gates and everything else. And we tend to get a little bit um, lax with our four legged babies. So it's just to make sure we, we pet proof the house uh, to make sure they don't accidentally get into situations. Even if we, you know, we just walked out of the room for a minute, Doc, and that's what happened. So it's really just preparing and making sure that we baby-proof that area and pet-proof that area to keep them out of harm's way. So it's important to kind of plan for that. The second thing I would say is that uh, make sure that not only we know, but anyone that comes to our house knows it's okay not to feed the pets. I, you know, they're begging, they have those little puppy dog guys. That's where it comes from because they're just looking at you saying, I want that X, Y, or Z. Whatever you're eating seems fantastic and I want it. And it's kind of like, you know, you go to the zoo and it's don't feed the bears. You go, <laughs> you go to the park, don't feed the bears, don't feel the wild, feed the wildlife. Well, here, don't feel the, feed the wildlife in your house. And it's okay to say that. And it's probably very important to say that because they may not know all of your pet's medical conditions. They may not know allergies, whether it's food allergies or something else. And especially if your pet's on a diet trial for skin disease or gastrointestinal disease, just one piece of turkey or chicken or whatever else you are feeding can ruin weeks worth of hard work on your part. So it's okay to tell people, do not feed my pets. Please don't feed my pets because they may not be veterinary or pet savvy. They may not know what is toxic to dogs or toxic to cats and what your dog is even just sensitive to. Maybe it's not toxic, but your dog has a very weak stomach. They're not an iron stomach pet and anything they eat which is different causes them stomach upset. So it is absolutely okay to remind your guests not to feed your pets. And quite honestly, it can save you lots of time, money, and headache later with veterinary visits for just general stomach upset or even toxicity. So it's okay. It's definitely okay. And I guess the third thing I would say before I pass it back to Dr. T is to say, um, make sure we empty our trash bins often because they just have a habit of sniffing out, you know, the same thing I was saying about the dining room table. So you make your beautiful holiday dinner, you sit down with all of your guests, but all of the garbage uh, our waste product is now in your garbage can, whether it's corn on the cob, whether it's bones, whether it's cans that have sharp edges that just smell and taste great while you're eating. So you, as I've said, you've banished your pet from that room to keep them safe. Now they're roaming the house and now they have access to garbage and they're great about opening it up, knocking it over, getting into things they shouldn't. So you finish your relaxing dinner and come out to garbage all over. And now you're wondering what your dog ate or why there's unfortunately blood on the floor if they cut their mouth uh, or tongue 
on that sharp edge of can of the cranberry sauce or sweet potatoes or whatever that is. So definitely make sure that we take the trash out as often as possible to keep our pets out of there because they just have a great habit of, of knowing how to get into something they shouldn't. Yeah, and, and along those lines, I've had a few clients who, um, and you know, all of us have our viewpoint about raw diets, but one client came in and was advised by, I believe, a, a local pet trainer to actually feed, feed raw chicken in bones and all, and he was feeding turkey, uh, chicken legs, etc. So what, what's, your, what's your take on raw, so say perchance during the holiday season, a dog eats a raw carcass prior to cooking versus afterwards, what, what, what's, your, what's your best advice for clients on that? Sure, I mean, it's a great question. So if we're just talking about raw meat itself, um, so not, let's take bones out of the equation for a second, but the raw meat itself, just like it has a risk for salmonella and E. coli and other bacterial pathogens that we can get sick from, the same thing can, can happen with our pets. And um, personally, I'm not a huge proponent of raw diet food. Um, I know there are a lot of very strong opinions out there from people about the raw diet. I, I'm not a personal fan of it. I think that the pet food companies have done a fantastic job to make sure that, um, you know, a vast majority of the time things are safe, well-balanced, and uh, in a convenient package for us to feed our pets. Just like we see, my personal opinion, just like every once in a while, you see a recall on something because it's contaminated stuff that we eat, the same thing's gonna happen in the pet industry and we can't fault a pet food company for doing that. I will say as an emergency and critical care specialist, I tend not to give a lot of long-term diet advice to my clients because I like veterinarians like Dr. T to be able to do that because they're the ones that are following up with that client long-term. If they ask me my personal opinion, I'll share it with them. I'll say it's not my favorite just because there is risk for contamination. There is risk for illness and I feel like there are safer products, but I'm not gonna go out there and try to change their long-term perspective. They may be on that diet for a variety of reasons, including medical, Aller, aller, allergic or other health reasons, but sure, I feel like there are other safer options. Now, when you add bones to the mix, I always tell families that my life, my vision of life is skewed as an emergency room doctor because unlike other veterinarians, I don't see checkups. I rarely see a puppy or kitten that's doing well. All I see in the ER or the intensive care unit are complications. And I will tell you that I have lots of bone-related complications, whether Hopefully, it's something as simple as stomach upset or intestinal upset. So they chewed the bone, they broke it up into very tiny pieces, and now the rough edges are just irritating or inflaming the, the stomach or the intestinal tract as it moves through. So we would call that a, a gastritis inflammation of the stomach or a gastroenteritis, an inflammation of the stomach or the intestines, which you know in, in plain English just means the intestines and stomach are irritated as something is causing that inflammation while it moves through. Fortunately, that's not a blockage. But there are definitely more serious cases that we see with bones where it gets stuck in the intestines or it gets stuck in the esophagus, which at times the food tube, the esophagus, at times that's even worse because that's a much more challenging area to either remove with a scope, an endoscope, or to remove surgically based on it being in the chest cavity. So again, uh, I know there are lots of strong opinions about the benefits of bones and people have those. My personal opinion is that there are safer treats, safer foods, and safer diets because again, all I see are complications from dogs 
mostly dogs, cats as well, but mostly dogs eating bones or eating foods like that. So again, my life is, my vision is skewed because I only see complications, but I do believe there are better treats, better foods, better diets out there and bones, especially during Thanksgiving, bones should be avoided to prevent these complications. The dogs just don't need it to be healthy. No, that's great. And we'll take a short break right now. You're listening to Your Pet Matters on 1077, 1077thebronc.com. The following is an encore presentation of Your Pet Matters with many new shows to come. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Your Pet Matters to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Now, here's a replay of Your Pet Matters with Dr. Michael Takiwa. We're back with Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care, discussing everything you need to know to keep your furry friends happy, healthy, and safe. Only on 1077 The Bronx. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, my special guest is Dr. Garrett Pachtinger. He's a COO of Vet Girl. He's an emergency and critical care specialist, and he's the medical trauma director at our friends at VSEC, which is a 24-hour specialty and referral center in the Levittown, Philly area, and soon to be Conshohocken, correct? That's right. Yeah. The third location yeah. is currently under construction, so uh, sooner than later, we'll have another 24-hour specialty and emergency facility in the Conshohocken area. And, and that's great. And it, it's it's wonderful because through Garrett, um, I've met the, a lot of the wonderful clinicians there. They're, it, I always tell Garrett, they're a young, driven group of individuals that are really, I mean, it, it, these are the individuals that are, are making veterinary medicine great. And it's, uh, it's, it's a wonderful experience to actually work with them and, and uh, refer my, my clients and patients to them. And I, I think they're in great care at, at the VSEC facility. So I always tell people, I think VSEC is a very well-run business. And uh, I, I mean that. It's not, it's not a biased thing because I get – I'm fortunate that I get this, all this uh, experience with a lot of the specialty and referral centers around us. And I think VSEC is very well-run. And what makes it great are people like Garrett here. So, But – Prior to the break, we were talking about um, you had great advice on just how to keep pets just out of the kitchen during the holiday season. And that I think that prevention is huge on uh, preventing any sort of uh, intake of unwanted things. But but specifically, why don't we get into specific um, concerns that, that, that you see in your uh, – I, I love the fact that you said you have a skewed or biased view because you actually see the, the I, literally the worst-case scenarios that, that can happen during the holiday yeah. season. Yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, people come in all the time, and my mind is just it wanders a little bit different than another clinician or another veterinarian would just because I only see the complications. I only see the emergencies. And, you know, whenever a cute puppy or kitten comes in, hopefully for something insignificant, they end up being the highlight of everyone's day and everyone wants to hold them and play with them. And, you know, we always joke with the families, I'm sorry, we lost your pet. You can't have them back. <laughs> Somebody's already adopted them because we get so excited to see something that is, you know, young and healthy and uh, cute that comes in the door <laughs> rather than the emergencies and, and other sick cases we, we see. So yes, unfortunately, my mind it wanders a little bit different. I always think, uh, you know, my life, my vision is skewed from all the ER cases. But that's, you know, that's a, a benefit of why we do what we do. We can pinpoint and target things pretty quickly. But we were chatting about some things uh, in general to keep our pets away from emergent situations. But there, during the holiday time, a couple of very specific foods and toxins that I wanted to make sure everyone was aware of. And I think that over the past couple of years, we're seeing fewer cases of 
grapes and raisin toxicity, but they're still prevalent. Uh, sometimes I feel like things come in runs. We had just a, a few cases the other week uh, came in right around the same time. Um, and so we still want to promote the awareness that grapes and raisins can be toxic for our dogs. Not a lot of literature out there on cats, and cats are a little bit um, too silly to get into grapes and raisins. But, you know, there are a lot of people that say, you know, I've had dogs my whole life, and we fed them grapes or raisins as treats. We thought that was healthy. What do you mean that's toxic? That's a great question. The problem is, as a veterinary community, not just Dr. T or myself or our hospitals that we don't know. It's as a veterinary community, it's it's unclear as to why grapes and raisins cause toxicity. We don't know if it's the green or the the, the purple grapes, if it's the California versus another area, if it's the type of pesticide, if it's seeded or no seeds. It's unclear. Uh, as to why this causes toxicity. But we do know there are some dogs that get into even just a handful of grapes and they go into a bad, bad kidney failure that doesn't have a cure and it doesn't have an antidote. We try to support them through that, but the reality is just a few grapes, even to a smaller, medium-sized dog, can cause really irreversible kidney failure. So the best Medicine is prevention in this case to make sure that our dogs are not getting grapes or raisins. And if they do, to call your veterinarian right away because the best treatment for that is early, early decontamination. So getting those grapes and raisins out and then further treatment like fluid therapy. So best, best prevention, keep your pets away from those grapes and raisins. And Another just, type. So, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but just just out of curiosity, what sort of, um, you know, not to be morbid about this, but so if you get that case, you get that case where the, where the pet is ingesting grapes, and we're, we've gone beyond the time frame of being able to get those grapes out of the system, so they've already been digested. What 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 sort of um, success rate for recovery is there? Great question. The first thing I would say, though, taking one step back, is if your pet does get into something like grapes and raisins or anything else, I would recommend calling your veterinarian before, for example, inducing vomiting, because there are some things which are safe to induce vomiting, and there are some things that are not safe. And honestly, some things don't require inducing vomiting. So I know a lot of pet owners, the first thing I think about is my dog ate something, let's get it out. It is I think well worth your time to take a few moments to call a veterinarian, whether it's Dr. T or they're not open a 24 hour facility like VSEC to make sure that it is appropriate and safe to induce vomiting at home. Going back to then your more specific question, so let's just say it is maybe six or eight hours after eating the grapes and raisins and we think that potentially inducing vomiting is no longer a great option. There are times that we may administer still activated charcoal. Activated charcoal is a substance just like people get when they eat something they shouldn't. It's a black liquid that has the toxin bind to it. So not to be gross, but eventually they poop it out rather than it going round and around in the body to promote its toxicity. Ultimately, then what we do is we'll put them on high rates of intravenous fluids for a couple of days. The best thing, the best discussion I can have is it helps flush out the kidneys. The medical term is diuresis, not dialysis, but diuresis to really keep those kidneys well hydrated, well perfused, and working well. And I do think that a vast majority of cases that come in early, that we can get some decontamination on, that we give fluids within 48 to 72 hours, we do well. There absolutely are a handful of cases, though, that end up with kidney problems. Some are short term, some 
end up being a little bit more chronic and long-term, but I would say the early intervention, so it's not waiting, it's getting them seen early, is the best thing because I think we can get them through that with little or few complication from that. So I do think our prognosis for treating them is very good, but it has to be early treatment. We don't want to see them when their kidney values are already ele elevated because if you see them then, you worry their prognosis is much worse as a result. Okay, and, and that's great. And just, just as an addition is just always have your veterinarian and the local 24-hour, the closest one or the one you like dealing with in your in your phone as a speed dial. So it's always there because emergency situations, you're stressed and it's tough to, to look things up. But but, uh, but thanks for answering that question. Completely agree. Appreciate it. Yeah, completely yeah. agree. An another thing that I would say a food to keep away from them is um, hopefully you have a lean turkey this year or whatever you're <laughs> eating. But fatty foods, whether it's hams or bacon, for example, or other types of meals um, are not the best for our pets. They taste good and certainly that's why we like to eat some of them. But that they're not the best for our pets. You know, even certain breeds would seem to be more prone to illness, whether it's our miniature schnauzers or the Yorkshire terriers. But there are some breeds that not only can get stomach upset from eating fatty foods, just like anything they're not used to, but even inflammation of their pancreas called pancreatitis. And very similar how I discuss pancreatitis with pet owners. If you think about stomach upset, so you and I eat something that doesn't agree with us. Likely what we have is some sort of gastritis or gastroenteritis like we chatted about earlier. Just like that, pancreatitis is inflammation of the pancreas, like gastritis is inflammation of the stomach. And in a very similar way, there's no cure, there's no antidote, there's no magic pill to make pancreatitis better. If you think, for example, for yourself, for an upset stomach, it's maybe some Gatorade and maybe a, a Zofran for a nausea or a Pepsid AC, pancreatitis is in a similar way just supportive care. The problem is pancreatitis can, in theory, be a lot more severe than stomach upset because the pancreas ends up releasing all of these really inflammatory enzymes which irritate everything else in the belly cavity. So those dogs with pancreatitis tend to be a lot more um, clinically ill, a lot more sick, sicker, as well as being more sick for a longer period of time. So we definitely want to try to avoid that. And the simple thing, like we talked about earlier in this episode, is just keeping them away from the dinner table, keeping them away from counter surfing on your kitchen counter, and making sure we take out that garbage, and then ultimately making sure our family and friends that come over know it's not a good idea to feed them because we don't want them to get that fatty food and get that stomach upset or inflammation of their pancreas, that pancreatitis. And so, so typically, in a severe case of pancreatitis, how long of a hospital stay is a client expected for the pet? Because people think, oh, it's just vomiting in 24 hours will be good, right? That's a great question. And the first thing that I tell people is, you know, I'm sure you practice the same way. I treat the patient. I don't treat the paper. And what do I mean by that is there are radiologists. I love our radiologists at VSEC, but they can gauge the, the degree of inflammation of the pancreas on ultrasound, for example. And I have some dogs where there is severe inflammation of the pancreas and they're eating the next day. But I have some dogs that have mild inflammation of the pancreas and are in the hospital for a week. So it's always a little bit variable, and I give myself a little bit of an out at the beginning of the conversation saying every patient will react differently. Certain breeds just seem to be hardier breeds, and certain breeds seem to be a little bit more sensitive in general. But I would tell a family on average when we start a treatment plan, I would consider two to three days for my initial start. Because if they come in on vomiting on day one, that's my sort of diagnostic day. 
depending on what time of the day they come in. Day two, I'm trying to figure out, now I have my test results. Hopefully I know it's pancreatitis, but now I'm trying to figure out how they're responding to my therapy. And is it safe for me to start a food trial? So let's just say they come in at noon on a Monday. I get my blood work back. I get my ultrasound back. And finally, by the end of the day, I have a good idea of why Fluffy's not feeling well. It's pancreatitis. Then on Tuesday, I'm trying to figure out, did my medication work? Is Fluffy well hydrated? Maybe Tuesday night, I can give Fluffy a little bit of food, see if he eats keeps it down and then still feels comfortable, is not lip licking or drooling or nauseous. And then maybe if he does well, he goes home on Wednesday. So you're kind of in that two to three day period of a best case scenario. So a textbook answer would be about two to three days for a mild case. Yeah, and I'm seeing the trend as, as, you, as you're experiencing, I'm seeing the trend of longer stays in hospital too, as things go. And it's so funny because you're talking about keeping family away and I'm thinking like, hey, Grandpa Joe, don't feed him that chicken. <laughs> well, you, you always like know it? because you see that hand come under the table, right? <laughs> and you, and they start looking around like they don't, <laughs> like all of a sudden they're admiring your artwork on the wall. <laughs> they're playing it cool, real cool, Grandpa Joe. We know what you're doing. And all of the dogs, there are six dogs <laughs> under Grandpa Joe's table. And it's, <laughs> no, they love and it's silent, right? right? <laughs> exactly. No one's barking anymore. There's no whining at the dinner table. So that's why it's best to keep them out of that room and get away from that the, the garbage. Yeah, of course. No, that, that's are, great. That's great. I was, I was going to say there are two other ones that I think sure. are pretty important. And yep. Probably the one I'm going to gloss over really quickly is is alcohol. Uh-huh. And alcohol, you know, whether it's you know white wine or champagne and holiday events, seems to be flowing a little bit more freely than at social events. I will tell you that it's not so much owners purposefully giving their family members, their pets, alcohol. It's more of I set the glass down, and then you see Fluffy lapping at the glass of wine or lapping at the beer. So this is more of just being cognizant of where we put our drinks down because most people are are fairly in tune with not – intentionally giving their pets alcohol it's more of you put the glass down to go have a conversation or go to the restroom or whatever it is and they come back and the glass is knocked over and the dogs are licking it off the floor or the glass is there and they're just lapping it up like a bowl of water so just be cognizant about that and the last one that i wanted to mention because people love cooking and baking on the family events is people don't think about this but people love making fresh bread and so they'll get the dough out it's fresh and it's rising and the dog they leave the room and the dog end up ends up coming and eats the entire loaf of the uncooked unbaked bread the dough and interestingly enough that can actually make them pretty sick because think about what you do with the bread you take the bread and you put it in the oven so the heat and moisture get rises and you end up with a beautiful loaf of bread well the dog's body, the stomach, is actually pretty warm in there. And so their stomach ends up acting like an oven. And so you have lots of thing, things and in, ingredients in that bread dough. You end up having that yeast rising within the stomach. And so they get bloated in the sense they have a big ball of bread dough within their stomach. But as that yeast rises, lots of chemical activity going on, you have carbon dioxide that also gets released and a lot of gas ends up being in that stomach. So you have lots of other toxicities. The sugars are metabolized, the yeasts are metabolized, carbon dioxides are formed. So you can have stomachs that are 
big and distended and big bloated bellies, but you can also have dogs that are sick aside from stomach upset and nausea with neurologic impairment and other disease from all of the chemicals that are released as the bread is technically rising mm -hmm. inside the belly cavity inside the stomach. So even though it doesn't seem like it would be that bad, unbaked bread dough can be quite toxic to our dogs and cats. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And can, can we just go back to the alcohol for just a little bit? So what, what sort of signs and symptoms or what sort of treatment modalities would you recommend for that? Interestingly enough, the same thing that you would expect if you had too much alcohol, too much wine, they would feel. One of the more common things that I see people come in for is a dog that looks drunk. They look inebriated because when they walk, they're wobbly. That's one of the bigger things that we can see. And of course, stomach upset, they're drinking or eating things that they should not. So lip licking, drooling, vomiting, or other signs of nausea can be seen. I will tell you, it's much less common to see the, the more serious effects. But if they get into a lot of alcohol, for example, it was a hard alcohol, so a bottle of vodka spilled rather than a simple glass of wine. If you think again about what would happen to you if you had way too much alcohol, aside from potentially being nauseous, and if I, aside from being inebriated, wobbly, drunk, walking back and forth and you know can't walk a straight line, things like breathing or respiratory depression, them wanting to sleep, even coma and death can be seen. But just like us, you have to get into a fair bit of alcohol for that to happen. So usually owners are more astute and say, I can't believe my dog, I put my glass down, my dog got into the glass of wine and my dog spilled over the, the beer or whatever it is and I'm more worried about them looking drunk or wobbly, medical term being ataxic and maybe a little bit nauseous from drinking something they shouldn't. But certainly it can cause decreased breathing, coma, excessive sleepiness, those types of things that you would expect if you had one too many drinks during the holidays as well. <laughs> it's so funny you're saying, if you can imagine, I'm going, no, I don't, I don't need to imagine <laughs> that. I mean, <laughs> never happened here. I read it in the textbook. <laughs> Not me. I, and the other thing I was thinking is nothing, we, we should get testimonials from people who have gone through certain toxicities in pets. Those are your best advocates for what to do, right? For the holiday season. I think that those are great, right? It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, the, the, the times when I, I love my job is when I go out to the waiting room and I have another client <laughs> preaching to a second client about why they should listen to me or, yes, this happened to me before and that's the right decision. So it's always nice to have a, a, a pet owner advocate sitting there in the waiting room. And they're um, the best advocates, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> okay, we'll take a short break and we'll come back talking to Dr. Garrett Packnicker. Uh, we'll start talking about cat stuff because we don't want to avoid missing them. Um, so you're listening to Your Pet Matters on 1077, 1077thebrock.com. The following is an encore presentation of Your Pet Matters with many new shows to come. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Your Pet Matters to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Now, here's a replay of Your Pet Matters with Dr. Michael Takiwa. We're back with Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care, discussing everything you need to know to keep your furry friends happy, healthy, and safe. Only on 1077 The Bronx. Welcome back. 
to Your Pet Matters. I'm your host, Michael Dr. T. Tikiwa, and we've been spending a wonderful couple segments with, with uh, my friend, Dr. Garrett Packniger. He is the COO of Vet Girl. He's also the veterinary trauma medical director at VSEC, which is a 24-hour referral center uh, in Levittown, Philly, and soon to be um, Conshohocken. And we've been talking about the certain things, whether they're toxins or physical or, uh, you know, foreign body type issues that you could get for your pets during the holiday season and we've been talking mostly about dogs and we didn't want to leave the cats out so you got a great pointers for cats tend not to get into some of the things or most of the things dogs do uh, but there's a lot of pointers you can do for cats right absolutely you know cats i always say they're, they're a little bit smarter than dogs they'll, they'll knock something over and then point at the dog more than actually uh doing something himself so a lot of the the toxic foods they get into um, more dog than cat, just because cats seem to be not as curious um, as dogs. And even if they get into the turkey, they're more likely to eat the turkey itself and not so much the bones. Dogs will just eat absolutely everything. But the one point I would make to start off with cats in the holidays, which seem to be a little bit more prone to disease in this specific category is people love bringing gifts over to your house for the holidays. And one of them just seems to be people love plants. Yeah. And so, you know, someone, you know, uh, sometimes it's a bottle of wine, sometimes it's a beautiful plant for the house. So the first comment to make regarding cats is whatever plant that comes into your house, just make sure that it is feline friendly, because we want to make sure that if it is not a feline friendly plant, we keep it either out of the house or in a locked room. But we certainly don't want to be in a situation where in hindsight, we left the room, we put the plant down, and the cats are on the counters, and half of the plant is in their mouth. Um, I can tell you from experience, it happened to me, unfortunately. It's a life lesson, but somebody got me um, uh, and my wife a, a, a beautiful plant as a, as a memorial gift. We brought it into our new house, and before we know it, before we knew it, um, our cats had ingested part of it, and it happened to be a renal kidney toxic lily. Yeah, yeah. So even for veterinarians, this happens and it certainly is a life lesson, but one to absolutely bring up that if a plant, for example, comes into our house as a beautiful gift, it is absolutely appropriate to double check and to ask your, your gift giver um, what types of flowers are in there and if not call the florist because you don't want to get into that situation where the cats are eating it and you don't know if it's toxic or not because some of these hindsight is not 2020 there's no way to reverse the problem so it's appropriate to ask it definitely is so we'll make sure that our plants are safe and that's great and, and along those lines there's a lot of talk uh, initially when the poinsettia discussion came out there's a lot of talk about how bad it was and now there's talk in in the other direction am i correct about that the point said is I think that for our small animal pets that are not um, uh, countryside cow and horse grazers, for example, the amount that our, our cats and get dogs get into is usually more related to oral cavity or stomach upset. But for example, as compared to lilies in cats, not kidney failure or certain types of other plants, not liver failure. Now, certainly still something to keep them away from because it can cause moderate to severe illness that can land them in the hospital for supportive care. It's not one that we worry, oh my God, it's life-threatening organ shutdown if my cat eats a small bite or licks the leaf, for example. So again, keep them away from it, but fortunately not one where it's life or death organ dysfunction as a result of getting into it. No, that's great. Yeah, it's great. What, what else is there for cats? And I think, uh, and uh, 
starts to get into the holiday season where we're not so much all, only worried about Thanksgiving, but it's the Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's type time where people start putting up fancy decorations, whether it's Christmas tree and tinsel and ornaments or other types of New Year's streamers. I think cats are actually more likely to be harmed by that as compared to dogs because cats love anything shiny and moving and they love to chase them and eat them. And what I worry about, number one, are ornaments. Some of them are glass ornaments. Some of them are smaller ornaments. Some of the people even put um, food type ornaments mm -hmm. on, the, on the tree, which can be um, smelly and enticing for them to eat. Specifically related to your glass and other ornaments, make sure they are at a height where the pets cannot reach them because because unfortunately I've seen cases where they are ingested. And while it makes a pretty cool x-ray to see an ornament in the belly, it's not so cool for the pet owner if surgery is needed. So it's important to make sure they are at a height that cats cannot get into. Specifically regarding tinsel, the difference between tinsel being eaten by a cat, for example, and let's just say a rock. Well, I don't know why a cat would eat a rock, but the point being that a rock is a single solid object. So if a single solid object is stuck within the intestines, it does need surgery. But what we worry about more, if you think about tinsel being string or rope-like, the problem is that that is a much different type of foreign object than a rock or something more solid because the way, pe the way food moves from your stomach down to where you poop it out is it moves by what's called peristalsis. So it's not like one piece of intestine takes that piece of food all the way through the intestinal tract and out the rear end. The intestines kind of move back and forth, pushing it along. And if you have a string that is sitting and stuck within the stomach or the intestines and the intestinal loop is going back and forth over that string which can't move, it acts like a tiny little saw or a jiggly wire. And what, you, what we worry about as veterinarians is it can saw right through the intestines and cause a leak. So a linear or string-like or tinsel-like farm body can be even more life-threatening and concerning as compared to a solid structure, whether it's a tennis ball and a dog and a golden retriever or a sock, that string or string-like object, the tinsel, the yarn, things like that can actually be even more concerning. So another good reason to make sure any ornaments, any tinsel, any decoration is well out of the reach of cats and dogs so they can't knock it over and get into it. And speaking of knocking over, it's another plug. If you do have ornaments, decorations, or your Christmas tree, it's to make sure that it is somehow uh, uh, tethered or sturdy because pets have a habit of knocking it right over. So things that may have been out of their reach height-wise may now directly be on the floor as they knock over that tree. So make sure any decorations we have, tree included, are well secured so they can't be knocked over. Yeah, that's great advice. And what what about um, the actual light of the tree itse itself? I, I there, there's some instances of the dogs or cats actually chewing the the wire. Excellent point. So just like any other decoration or ornament, make sure any lights are well out of the reach because cats, even more than dogs, it's a light. The light strand is string or string like. It's shiny. It may or may not be moving, and they will bite right into it. And we have cases, unfortunately, that have a, a life threatening electrocution 
and they pass away from that. But the other thing that we can actually see when dogs or cats chew on an electrical wire of any kind is not only oral cavity problems, and what I mean by that is they get local electrocution burns on the side of their mouth, so it's called the commissure of their lips, or on their tongue. I usually tell people that if you're worried that some type of burn in the mouth, if it's on the tip of their tongue, usually that's because they've licked something that's caustic or toxic or burning, because dogs and cats don't really bite with their incisors. They more bite with the sides of their mouth. So if there's an ulcer or a burn on the front of their lips or the tip of their tongue, usually they licked something they shouldn't. With that said, when they bite something they shouldn't, like an electrical cord, more often than not, the burns are on the commissures, so the lip, the, the, the closure of their lips on the side or the sides of their tongue. So if they chew an electrical cord, you can have burns on the side of the mouth and the tongue, which can be severe enough that they stop eating or have infections. The other thing that we can see when they chew an electrical cord is what's called neurogenic or non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema. And in very plain English, what that means, pulmonary edema means fluid in the lungs, fluid in the air sacs of the lungs. And neurogenic or non-cardiogenic means it's not heart related. So as compared to a heart failure, dog or cat that will get fluid in their lungs, when they chew on the electrical cord, there's a massive shift in pressures of fluids within their blood pressures and their lungs, which ends up resulting within fluid inside their lungs, inside their air sacs. So you can have a dog or cat that chews on an electrical cord and within seconds to minutes to hours is in pretty bad breathing distress, respiratory distress, because rather than allowing air to get into their lungs, there's all that fluid in there which does not allow oxygen to be breathed inappropriately. So it's often a good telltale sign if they have burns on their side of their mouth, their lips, or their side of their tongue, and breathing distress, they probably chewed on something like an electrical cord and look for that in your house. So point being, make sure any electrical cord is well taped, secured, or out of the reach of both cats and dogs, because around the holiday time, it's inevitable that we're going to see cases of burns from chewing electrical cords. Wow. We'll take a short break right now. You're listening to Your Pet Matters on 1077, 1077thebronc.com. The following is an encore presentation of Your Pet Matters with many new shows to come. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Your Pet Matters to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Now... Here's a replay of Your Pet Matters with Dr. Michael Takiwa. We're back with Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care, discussing everything you need to know to keep your furry friends happy, healthy, and safe. Only on 1077 The Bronx. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, my special guest is Dr. Garrett Pachtinger. He's a COO of Vet Girl. He's an emergency and critical care specialist, and he's the medical trauma director at our friends at VSEC, which is a 24-hour specialty and referral center in the Levittown, Philly area. And and, and you talked about uh, during one of the breaks, you talked about the the sprays or something we do on the on the on the trees themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So especially those trees, a lot of people love the smell and the experience of having a, a fresh or recently live tree to decorate in the house. But in order to keep them fresh and looking and smelling good, there are lots of different um, uh, liquids and chemicals that are placed around the base of the tree to keep it as healthy as possible for as long as possible. 
What I would make sure is that anything, any chemical you use to keep that tree healthy is pet safe and pet friendly because that is, in their eyes, a bowl of water. They go under the tree, it's warm, it's shaded, it's hidden, it's a cat's most favorite place they're hiding under there. And they just look at that as a bowl of water when they're thirsty. Why am I gonna walk down the hallway or to another room where my litter box, my food and water are if I'm sitting next to a, a beautiful bowl of water? So just make sure any chemical or liquid that you put on there to keep or in there to keep that tree as healthy as possible is pet safe and pet friendly because inevitably they're going to find it and they're going to lick it. We don't want them to have either oral, again, um, tongue or lip ulcerations or infections or even stomach or intestinal upset or something worse like organ damage from licking and drinking something they shouldn't. So it, it, it definitely sounds like from the electrical standpoint and from those, those, those liquid toxins that usually come home to a pet that's ill and you have to start investigating as to why. It's not, unless you happen to be there when they're doing it, but. I would agree. And sometimes what I worry about is cats are such good hiders that it's not always immediately known that they're sick because the first thing they do is sort of a prey or prey animal species is they will hide. And any pet owner that's ever tried to get their cat in a carrier to come to the vet office <laughs> agrees. What do they do when they're scared or they're sick? they hide. So it's not always immediately uh, uh, aware to the pet owners that the, something may have happened. Maybe the lights are off of the tree and they just, you know, they can't figure out why and maybe they plug it back in, but they're not quite aware that Fluffy is sick because she's been hiding and they just assumed she was sleepy or tired. So it's not always something where we come home to say, oh my God, something's wrong immediately. And maybe hours or even day or days um, past the event. We've had cases where the cat chewed the electrical cord, did not get breathing difficulty, but had a tongue burn. And it wasn't until two or three days later when mom or dad recognized that the bowl wasn't being emptied, they weren't eating food, that they recognized something was wrong. So not all cats or all dogs, for example, when they chew a cord will get both mouth and lung problems that may be one or the other, and it may be even a few days later till they realize Fluffy hasn't been eating for a couple of days. That's weird. They go to the vet office, now there's a huge burn on the side of the mouth or on the inside of the tongue that we walk our way backwards and say, yeah, it must have been X, Y, or Z now that you mention it. Yeah, and that, that, that's a good point because I, I think the gist of it and what we haven't really we blatantly said throughout this whole interview is that it's the holiday time. Everyone's busy. Everyone's distracted, and you're gonna miss things. So um, the, the the sum of it is is be preventative, uh, be diligent, and definitely there's lots of resources. Reach out to your veterinarian. Reach out to local 24-hour centers, and and just ask for advice and ask for help. Well, Garrett, oh go, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, I was I yeah. one more yeah. comment because. I think this is really important. And you made a great comment earlier about being prepared with your veterinarian's phone number, the local ER's phone number. The other thing I would be prepared with is an understanding of your pet's personality and medications they may need because we're getting into Thanksgiving, holiday time, and approaching New Year's. And people don't recognize at times that for anxious pets, just having extra family members over can lead to anxiety. We all know around the holiday times it gets dark, what happens? Fireworks, especially on New Year's. Lots of noise, 
firecrackers, etc. So just recognize what your pet's triggers may be and be prepared and appropriate for that. Don't wait till the last moment to call your veterinarian to refill the anxiety medication prescription, etc. So just recognize what time of the year is coming up. Be prepared with phone numbers, be prepared with medications, be prepared with information for your guests about what is safe and what is not safe. And I think preparation here goes a long way to prevent illness and to keep you out of the ER. No, that and that's and that's great advice. Well, we're out of time, and as always, Garrett, wealth. Th this guy is not only a wealth of information; he explains things at a level that anyone can understand. That's why I love having you on the show, Garrett. So, Thank uh, you. people can reach you. I think three ways: either uh, if they want to see you as an emergency clinician, it's it's through vsecvet.com. Um, if you're interested in the vet girl, well, maybe we'll spend the whole show talking about vet girl one day. <laughs> vet girl's a, a educational podcast series for uh, veterinarians, so it's vetgirlontherun.com. And do you have you have drgarrettpackinger.com as well as your as your own personal site? Is that correct? Um, I think I have a personal. One <laughs> well, now you do. Now people are yeah. going to search it, but but as I, always, I think it's I think it's just GarrettPaxinger.com. Uh, okay. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, feel free to reach out. You know, obviously our. Um, for VSEC, we're 24-7, 365. You know, the best thing to do is if you ever have an emergency and Dr. T's office is not open, we have doctors and nurses that can answer questions 24 hours a day. As I said earlier, you know, it's always better to ask first before doing something, whether it's to give an over-the-counter medication, to give another pet's medication, to induce vomiting when you don't know if that's appropriate. So if Dr. T's office is not open, please call our hospital where a doctor or a nurse can answer your question 24 hours a day. Even if you're not a client of ours, you know, we certainly are there because we're going to let you know whether or not you need to be seen immediately or whether it's not it's safe to go back to see Dr. T the following day. But it's much safer to do that than to potentially give your pet some sort of treatment at home and that compound the situation. Yeah, don't Google it. <laughs> Just no, Google phone please. numbers, but but like yeah. I said, have the have the phone numbers in, in your cell phone. Well, thanks so much, Garrett. Thanks so much for being on the show. It's, it's always Thank great. You. And remember, everyone, love your pet like they love you, unconditionally. Have a great day. That was Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care. You can tune in right here every Saturday at 10 a.m. Or to hear more right now, you can go to 1077thebronc.com slash yourpetmatters, where you can download past episodes as podcasts on your favorite platform like Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Your Pet Matters is underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care, 390 County Road, Route 518, Skillman. For more information online, it's progressiveveterinarycare.com. We'll see you next time, only on 1077 The Bronx.